I love to tell the story of meeting and marrying my first wife, Lisa. Now, some of you know the story, and usually I begin the story with the death of my first wife, Lacey, which was 18 years ago. Now, Lacey got cancer shortly after we were engaged, and she had a terrible journey, and we were married only 71 days, and she died at age 31. And I grieved for five years and suffered a dark night of the soul. But then miraculously one day the grief lifted, and three weeks later I met Lisa. And it was in the most improbable way. I had a day off from church, and so I went to another church, and I met a guy, and he introduced me to Lisa. But this is the way it happened. I didn't know this guy, and I didn't know the girl that he wanted to introduce me to, and she lived in another state, but I went with it. Lisa and I had a blind date, a heart connection. I pitched my best woo, i.e. I took her to the Peking Chinese restaurant, my favorite restaurant at the time in Richmond. <laughs> Eight weeks later, I had my first date with her in Charlotte, her home turf. Driving back to Richmond from that first date in Charlotte, I said to, my, to myself, I'm going to marry this girl, which was outrageous because I'm not the guy who can move that quickly. But within 11 months of meeting Lisa, we were married. That's the story I love to tell, and it's the story of God's gift. But that's not the story I want to tell you today. I'll tell you that story another time. The beginning of the story I want to tell you today starts way earlier, 20 years or so, than the story I just told you. My friends were I and I were just getting out of college, starting our jobs, and many of them were getting married, but I wasn't getting married. And I'm not sure it had something to do probably with my brokenness in my own life, maybe something around fear for me. Also, I'd spent nine years of seminary and PhD work in a lonely, faraway place. But for many years as a single person, I remember longing and waiting and waiting and longing, hoping to be married or married again. And I was lonely, and as the years wore on, I remember feeling defective. I would say to myself, what's wrong with me? And a lot of guys get out of college and they just get married. And I have no idea how that happened. How do guys just get out of college and just get married? I didn't know how to do that. And, you know, some of you have been married for a long time. And you may not know, and clearly I don't speak for single people, but I think a lot of single people live with pain and loneliness and isolation every day. And it's particularly hard to be single in a world where everybody else seems to be married. Now, that's not statistically true, but it feels that way, and especially in the church. And I can remember for decades waking up and thinking, maybe today is the day. Maybe the day is today that I'll meet the girl that I'll be married and live a long life with and have children with one day. But day after day and year after year and decade after decade, nothing. And marriage to Lacey really didn't help because it didn't last. And so what I want to... The, the other thing that's true about that is I was always sort of asking in my soul, what does God have to say about the subject? And all during that time I was praying. And for years God seemed to be silent or seemed to be silent to me. And I raised that and tell that story just to ask you, does it ever seem like God is silent to you? Maybe you're a Christian and you've thought that that would mean a life of blessing, but you've been waiting and hoping and hoping and waiting for God to 
do something on some subject in your life, and he's been silent. Maybe it's marriage that hasn't happened, or a happy marriage that hasn't happened, or maybe it's having kids, or maybe you're a student or a young adult and you're committed to being sexually pure, but relationships aren't going your way. And some of us are finding that there are times in our Christian experiences, most of us really, where God seems silent, and we look around and we say, why am I doing all this? Why am I attending? Why am I believing and obeying? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I still hoping in a God who hasn't delivered? Well, our sermon series is the beginning of the story, and we're asking the question, why does each gospel writer begin his story of the coming of Jesus the way he begins it? And today we're looking at the beginning of Luke's story. And Luke begins his story with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who spent all their lives waiting and hoping. Now, Luke could have begun his gospel with the birth narrative. Luke has a great birth narrative, the best birth narrative. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. So Joseph also went up to the town from, of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, from Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. He went there with Mary. Luke tells that story. He tells a great story. He could have begun that, his gospel with that story, but he didn't. That's Luke chapter 2, and Luke begins his gospel with Luke chapter 1. And it's the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they've been waiting and hoping all their lives. So what I want to do is read Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. So I invite you to turn your Bibles, turn in your worship guide. This is the way Luke begins his gospel. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So we have Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Now Luke associates them with priests. Zechariah was a priest and Elizabeth was from a long line of priests, beginning with Aaron. So they're sort of churchgoers. They're pillars of the church. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord commands and decrees blamelessly. So that means God looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth and he said, they're doing it right. If you sent a private investigator to follow them around, there'd be nothing to tell. So Luke is landing us in the, in the, in the middle of the story of two God-fearing, commandment-obeying, righteous Jews. And there's one more thing you need to know. In this moment in history, these God-fearing, commandment-obeying, righteous Jews were doing what they were doing based on promises given to their ancestors thousands of years before. 4,000 years earlier, beginning with Abraham, God had promised the Messiah to his people. He had said the Jews will be blessed to be a blessing with land and progeny and a Messiah. But a lot of time had passed, and a lot of things hadn't happened. And God's special people kept being conquered by neighboring nations like Babylon and Assyria and Persia. Things weren't looking good for God to fulfill his promises. And what we just read is the opening of the New Testament, God, and God hadn't spoken a word for 400 years. So that means that, now listen, that means that Zechariah and Elizabeth, think with me, 
And many of their ancestors would get up every day and they'd say, is today the day? Is today the day that the Messiah is going to come? And so many Jews peeled off from the faith because they said, clearly it's been so long. God's not interested. He doesn't care. He's abandoned his people. It must be a fairy tale or a myth. This Messiah stuff is not happening. Give it up, Zechariah. Give it up, Elizabeth. Give up your waiting and hoping. And incidentally, how is righteousness and blamelessness working out for them? Verse 7. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. So, well, that's great. These guys are, you know, following God. They're keeping his decrees blamelessly. They're coming to the temple. They're serving and God won't even give them an heir. And in this culture, it was always the woman's fault. It was shameful for a woman not to bear children. I hate to put it this way, and I don't mean to be culturally insensitive, but that, that, they thought that that was all a woman was good for. And many believed in a case like Elizabeth's, it was a sign that God had removed his favor. It was as if God had cursed Elizabeth with barrenness for some unknown reason. That's what many people believed, and maybe Elizabeth and Zechariah believed this. So what you've got here is Zechariah and Elizabeth are part of the remnant of Jews. They're faithful, they're waiting and hoping, hoping and waiting that God will be faithful to his promises, but there is no evidence for thousands of years that he is. A lot of women are getting pregnant. A lot of non-Jewish women pregnancies are happening all over the place. But not Elizabeth. And the text says they were both very old. So it was over. And Elizabeth carried the shame and pain of barrenness into old age. Now, you know, some of you feel that your lives are hard right now and we're in a pandemic. And you've got your own journey of waiting and hoping, hoping and waiting. God hasn't shown up in some way you hoped he would. Maybe something hasn't happened with your jobs or your family life or at school. And surely people watch Zechariah serve in the temple and Elizabeth Bay always decrees daily and their friends would say, again, give it up. It's a hoax. God's not going to deliver on his promises. But as we said in the Advent liturgy, God was about to do something New. He's about to demonstrate the faithfulness that was true of him all along. And this is the story that Luke wants you to know. So that's why he begins his story this way. So verse 9. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So this was a big deal for Zechariah. He was part of a group of 23 priests and they cast lots, which was basically gambling, to decide who was going to get to do this thing. And there were so many of them that you might go a lifetime and not be chosen. And there's no reason to believe Zechariah has ever done it before, but he gets chosen this time. Verse 10, And when the time came for the burning of incense 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So all the other priests are waiting outside. He's in there all by himself. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped by fear, as you always are with angels. People say, oh, I'd love to see an angel. Well, angels are like fearsome. <laughs> Bible angels. I don't know if you want to see one of them. The angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped by fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And then the angel says, and this is great. He says, your prayer has been heard. I just love to hear that sometimes. Your prayer has been heard. Not, not your prayer has been answered, but just that it's been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he'll be a famous John because he will be John the Baptist. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will get, be great in the sight of the Lord. He, will never, he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. The story continues. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Well, why would he bring them back? Well, because so many of them had fallen away because God had been so undependable. Verse 17, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So look at this. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Now he gets very diplomatic here, man. I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. <laughs> you got to love the Bible. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. This is how you'll know I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel for crying out loud. I stand in the presence of God and I've sent, I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. So Zechariah's probably thinking, well, this is great, but you're a little late. I mean, Elizabeth and I have been praying for a long time. We started praying in our 20s for a child to be born. And then for some reason, we kept praying in our 30s. And we all, almost gave up praying in our 40s because our hope was so dim. And we did give up praying in our 50s because it was over. We stopped hoping. And something happens that, to Zechariah that I can only believe has something to do with how God was shaping him spiritually. Gabriel says, verse 20, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. And now this is my favorite part of the story, which will come true. And let's just say this all together. At the appointed time. You mean God's had this moment on his calendar all along? You mean he's known all these thousands of years in the last 400 years that this was going to happen at this time? You mean even through the years of the Babylonian, Assyrian, and Persian captivity, God waited this long to send the Messiah on purpose? 
You mean God watched people leave the Jewish religion in droves? There was no evidence he was going to fulfill his promises? You mean God had this in mind all along? There was an appointed time on his calendar for the Messiah's coming? He not only heard my prayers, but the prayers of his people for generations? Yeah. You mean even though God has been so quiet, he hasn't lost interest? No. At the appointed time. Now, one of the things that I think as Christians we will never make peace with is all the waiting. When I look at the Bible, there is a lot of doggone waiting. People are waiting all the time. There's a lot of waiting. And we want everything faster. We want our children to develop faster. We want to get married faster. We want God to answer our prayers faster. And the angel said, at the appointed time, the opportune time, the right time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. The incense burning shouldn't have taken as long as Zechariah was in there, and they're waiting outside. Verse 22, when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. But the birth of John the Baptist wasn't the point. Zechariah and Elizabeth's story was the birth of uh, with the birth of John was the small story, but there was a large story that was happening on a parallel track. Now, I won't read all the verses, but Elizabeth carries John to term, then it's time to give birth. All Elizabeth's neighbors come to share in her joy. Let's pick it up with verse 65. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So now everybody's asking about John, and everybody senses the Lord is doing a new thing. Everybody senses that after a long while of not doing anything like this, God has broken into history. He's spoken again. He's intervened in a way that he hasn't done for a long, long time. I didn't read this part of Luke 1, but on the parallel track with God conceiving a miraculous child in Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit was conceiving a miraculous child in the Virgin Mary. Luke tells about that, and Zechariah perceives the significance of it. So Luke 1 ends with the Benedictus, or Zechariah's song of praise. And we'll end the reading this way. Verse 67, John's father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So what was the horn of salvation? The horn was a ram's horn, and it's what rams used to fight off enemies. Israel's enemies had been Babylon and Assyria and Persia. But in the fullness of time, the ram's horn would be the cross where the Son of God pushes back sin, evil, and death. So let's jump down to verse 76. And you, my child, Zechariah is now pointing to John, will be called a prophet 
of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, you've heard me say a lot around here that Christianity is often misunderstood as primarily about morality, and it's true that if you follow Jesus, he will call you to a different way of life. But first and foremost, Christianity is about forgiveness. And Zechariah perceives that, that Jesus' atoning work on the cross is the place that we start and we receive the crucified Christ through faith. So friends, this is Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, a, a story of hope fulfilled. And it's how Luke decides to begin his gospel. And the question is why? Well, I think that Luke knows that Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is our story, isn't it? I mean, again, some of you have been waiting a long time for something, maybe for a legitimate longing to be fulfilled. And a lot of people have lost the faith or gone on to something else because God has been so slow with, with theirs or your prayer requests. And so you've been sort of asking yourself, or there maybe is a little dialogue going on inside, do I stop believing, stop hoping, do I stop obeying, stop following, do I go my own way, do I stop giving, serving, being sexually pure, or will I be a part of the remnant of faithful, hopeful Christians who believe that God makes good on his promises? This is why Luke begins his story where he begins it. Don't you see? God sees you. He sees you and you're longing and you're waiting and you're hoping. And he wants to say to you, your faith and your hope are not in vain. They are not in vain. God has a day on his calendar when Jesus will return to earth and he will merge heaven and earth. And what we know is that there will be no more death or tears or crying or pain there will, be no, there will be no need for the sun because God's light will light all of creation. And the new humanity that remains will be whole and pure and selfless. There will be no more poverty and no more injustice and no more racism and no more abuse and no more neglect in the human community. And all creation will be united in adoration and joy in Jesus, our Lord and King, who reigns in love and light. Now, I opened my story to say, really, my story of meeting and marrying Lisa is a story of God's gift, for sure. But even more than that, it's a, it's a story of hope fulfilled. And you might say, well, maybe God's not going to fulfill my hope. Maybe you're a single person. And you say, maybe God's not going to fulfill my hope this way he fulfilled yours. And I say, maybe you're right. And maybe he's not going to fulfill some hope for me in the way that he has in your life. And here's the point. There is no guarantee uh, you'll get married or married again or have children or see your children thrive or have every legitimate longing that you're hoping for satisfied in the way you see it in this life. So you might say, uh, Luke, to Luke, uh, Luke or, or, or Zechariah and Elizabeth, you know, I could die before some of these things I long for happen. And Luke might say to you, uh, yeah, yeah, you could. And, you might, and, and Luke might say, and you might say to Luke, um, 
a lot of these things that I'm hoping for, I'm just not certain are going to happen. And Luke might say, might say, you know, you're right. But I think Luke would go on to say that the reason that I included Zechariah and Elizabeth's story is that in the mystery of God, how God views time, in the way that he will merge heaven and earth, you will have what you long for now or in the life to come. Because what we long for is a reflection of the new creation that God promises. So friends, it's, it's Christmas, it's Advent. We're waiting for the coming of Christ and especially we're waiting for him to come again. And the message of Zechariah and Elizabeth is to say, do not give up hoping, do not give up believing. No matter what, your faith and your hope, they're not in vain. We are a community of faith. We're a community of hope. That's what distinguishes us from the outside world. Even now, God has a date on his calendar for when Christ will return, when everything sad will become untrue. God is a God who keeps his promises when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. Your faith, my friend, and your hope are not in vain. Let's pray. Amen. Father, I pray for everybody here in this season when we're longing and waiting and hoping, and we're longing and waiting and hoping for the coming of Jesus again. And I know, Lord, some people are saying to themselves, and especially people out there, why bother? Why continue in hope? I pray that you would reach down and remind us, touch us and remind us that you love us and that you do keep your promises on your timetable. Thank you for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Thank you for giving Luke the vision to preserve their story and to tell it. Thank you for the cross and the empty tomb. And thank you for these reminders and scriptures that you can be trusted. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.